great line, ignore her, she was born without vision. Back when we were doing the Struggle is Real series, I happened to be going through and listening to some talks on leadership, and in the midst of all of that, I, I just kept thinking about how many of the talks on organizational leadership flowed over into and spilled over into so many other areas, including parenting, but also including just sort of how you lead your own life, and that if you're going to have a life that you look back on and say, this was worth it, this, is, this was a life well lived, it's going to be because it was a life that was well led along the way. And in the principles of leadership, at the core of leadership principles, it's uh, focusing on vision. And the reason why is because leadership implies movement, and not just movement, but intentional movement. Uh, In other words, there's no leadership when you're just sitting on the couch. Uh, You're not leading, you're not following, you're not doing anything when you're just sitting still. However, the whole idea behind leadership is you're either leading somebody else somewhere, or you're Somebody else is leading you somewhere. And the question, of course, is where are they leading you? And so it's intentional movement. So it's moving to an intended place. Uh, and it's, without leadership, without a sense of where you're going, you end up in a place like where Alice was in the Alice in Wonderland, whether you read the movie or the book. Uh, she meets the cat and she says, will you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And that's a question a lot of us are asking in life. Will you, will you tell me where I need to go? And the cat answers back, says, well... That all depends on where you want to get to. And Alice has sort of the vision and mindset that many people have. I don't really care. I just don't want to be here. And that sort of summarizes up a lot of humanity where we look and say, I don't care where I go. I just don't like it here. I'm not in a good place now. I wasn't following any sense of leadership to get to said place. But I find myself in a place I don't want to be. And so what I'm going to do is use the same strategy I use that got me to this place that I don't want to be. And hopefully it'll get me somewhere better. And so she just says, I really don't care where I go. And the cat says back very cleverly, then it really doesn't matter which way you go. Now, the reason why that scene and those, those, that scripted set of lines resonates so much with us is because, as it shouldn't surprise any of us, it, it's reflecting a truth we see out of God's word. Uh, and so oftentimes when we see something in art or in music or poetry that sort of resonates with our soul, so often it's because it's tapped into a spiritual truth that God has long ago tried to say and has just sort of been put out in a different way. Uh, this same truth is what you see over in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, where it says, where there is no revelation from God, the people cast off restraint. And then it goes on to say, but blessed is the one who follows God's instructions. Now, this pretty much summarizes up our modern life. This is why the advice that we give all reflects this idea of where do you want to go? I don't care. Anywhere is good. And, and if that's your sort of your mantra in life, if I don't really care where I go, anywhere is good, you'll hear people say things like, well, then just do whatever you want. It really doesn't matter what you do. Just do something. Just do something you love. Go seek your own truth. Find your own place. Uh, fear nothing. Live life without limits. Find your own truth. Uh, do what's right for you. All of those things are a summary of the conversation that Alice has with the cat. Well, I don't really care where I go. Well, then just do whatever you feel. Do whatever's right for you. Do whatever you want to do. God, however, looks at it and he says, now, those who lack revelation, in other words, those who don't have a sense of what God wants for them in life or why they're here on this earth, when they don't have that sense, they cast off restraint. There's nothing to guide them or push them in a direction because whenever you're following a leader down a path, there will typically be other opportunities and there'll also be difficulty. You ever followed somebody on a nature trail? And at what point do you say to the person leading, you go, hey, hey, why don't we go down this path, right? And you have those moments. Or 
sometimes it, what happens is you're walking along and you see that the path is getting steeper and more difficult, and you see that there's a really easy looking path off to the side, at some point you're gonna go, hey, leader, let's go that way. Because there's just something within you that if you don't know where you're going, or if you don't trust the person who is leading, at some point, you will not want to stay disciplined and stay on the path that this person is taking you down. And so what our society looks like is a society that has literally cast off restraint. And we've cast off restraint in every area, uh, financially, and we can't just blame our government for casting off restraint financially. America is in just as big a debt as our government is. We lead the way in that, right? I mean, credit card debt, every one of us walks in here with, with, with debt. Very few people can say, I'm debt-free, and yet we somehow think that our government's going to do some of the reflection. No. We've cast off all restraint when it comes to finances. We've cast off all restraint when it comes to our morals, when it comes to our ethics. We've, we've cast off all restraint. And the warning, of course, is the one who has cast off all restraint, what's he say? It, it leads to death. I, I love the way uh, the, the, the King James Version, it's funny. Normally, the King James Version is a very long, drawn-out, tedious translation, which takes a while to figure out what it's saying. This is one of the rare times where the King James Version almost reads like the New Living Translation or like the Message Translation. It's almost like a summary of this passage, and it's actually the, the translation that most people are familiar with when it comes to Proverbs 29.18. Uh, maybe you've heard it. Anybody, anytime anybody speaks on leadership in a Christian context, they usually quote this from the King James, which is, where there is no vision, the people perish. So many of y'all have heard that, where there's no vision, people It's really summarizing this idea, and what he's saying is, is where there's no vision, where you have no clear picture of what, God has, what God's revealed truth is and where he wants you to go and the kind of person he wants you to be, where you have no picture of what God's word says, you will cast off restraint. And when you live a life undisciplined, casting off restraint, chasing whatever is easiest in the moment, not, you know, not, not willing to say no to other opportunities or other ventures to pursue in life, when you uh, cast off all restraint and therefore have, do not have the discipline to stay the course and you do whatever feels good in the moment, when you do those kind of things and you live life like that, it leads to death. It, it perishes. Your, your relationships die. Your morality dies. Your ethics die. Everything dies in the process. So the King James sort of like summarizes this up where it simply says, where there's no vision, people perish. And what perishes? Everything. And ultimately, life physically and eternally is at stake when you don't have a sense of God's direction and you cast off all restraint. Uh, you've heard it maybe said that life is a journey, and it is, and everybody ends up somewhere. The thing about it is, though, is not everybody ends up somewhere intentionally. Life's a journey. We all end up somewhere. The question is, is will you end up somewhere intentionally? You ever had these moments where you thought to yourself, how did I end up here? Now, sometimes that can happen due to circumstances completely out of your control. Sometimes it happens simply because you just sort of got through the day, and you focused on the day, or you focused on the week, and you just sort of focused on a short-term plan or objective, and you never really had a grander vision of where it is you wanted to go and what it is you wanted to see happen or what it is you felt was, was being led to go do. So, like, if I were to ask you, where do you want to be in 10 years? You know, some of you have some, some pictures of that, uh, and it's somewhere between a vague idea and a vision. Uh, and some of you, you know, if I were to ask you, where do you want to be spiritually? Some of you might, you know, go back to the last series and say, well, I want to be spiritually mature. I want to get to the place where I trust God's word and I realize my opinion doesn't matter about what is true and what is right and what is a sin and what is not a sin. And I trust God uh, to have the best, my best interest in mind. So if he says do it, I'm going to do it. I want to get to the place of spiritual maturity where I can read God's word and I can apply it uh, without hesitation. I want to get to the point where whether the good comes in my life or the bad comes in my life, I can accept it and not spend time asking God why, 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 why but rather ask God, okay, 
okay, what next? What can I do to follow after you in this circumstance? So some of you, you want to grow spiritually. Maybe you want to uh, get to the point where you've read through all of the Bible at some point. Uh, some of you have goals where you say, well, I want to really understand the book of Romans. I really want to understand the book of James. And so you spend that time because you have a vision that this is what I want to be able to accomplish or to do. Some of you have a, a goal to simply, you know, I, I want to have a quiet time every single day with God. That's a spiritual goal. Uh, I remember years ago, somebody looked at me. I was at, I was at a camp. I was in high school. And I'll never forget this annoying girl. She's like, I, I just met her. Like, it was, she, was, she was from Kentucky, of all places. <laughs> and she goes, you don't pray every day. I can tell. I'm like, channeling inner Tupac, you don't know me. <laughs> you don't know anything about me. Go back to Kentucky, girl. But the devastating truth was she was right. Well, I had this vision that I was going to prove Miss Kentucky wrong, and literally, I prayed every single day without missing a day until Melissa passed away. It was like, I don't know, 15, 20 years straight. And I remember the, the first day that I didn't, I, was, I, I didn't out of bitterness and frustration in that moment. I was mad. I'm like, I'm not talking to you tonight, God. I really showed him, didn't I? <laughs> Funny some things we do. But I had a vision that that's the kind of person I wanted to be, and she was calling me out that I wasn't that person. You know, what are your goals personally? Some of you may have personal goals. Maybe you have a vision of, of I want to be known as a patient person. I want to be known as a, as a generous person. Uh, maybe some of you have uh, some personal goals as far as right now you've been struggling with a hurt habit or hang-up and you see folks who've been gone to celebrate recovery and they have something to celebrate because of their recovery. And I remember at my very first church, I, I went there and I met everybody in the congregation. I, I went there, there was only like 40, 50 people there, most of them all senior adults. I'll never forget meeting this lady who was in her late 60s, early 70s, and I just said, well, tell me about your life. You know, how did you end up here you know, at this point in life? And so she went through and told me her life, and she told me the story of alcoholism and adultery, and, all, and I'm looking at this old lady going, this is you we're talking about? I mean, this was just like the sweetest, you know, like, like, like Betty White, sweet kind of, oh, you know, kind of lady. I'm just like, I'm thinking to myself, you're painting out a horrible person who's wreaked a lot of destruction and havoc. And I didn't say it quite in those terms. It was a little more pastoral the way I said it. And I, I think I just said, I said, I said are you, this is your life we're talking about, right? And she goes, yes. I said, I have a hard time picturing any of that. And she says, well, you know, that was a long time ago, and I've worked through a lot of that, and I've learned from a lot of mistakes. And, you know, and then she went back to a time like 20 years ago where she'd made some changes. And, you know, you think about it, it just... She'd been living a completely different way for the past 15, 20 years to the point where you had no picture of that's who she was. Maybe some of you, your vision is that one day nobody would ever know the you that people know now. Maybe that's part of your vision, that, that God would have done such a transforming work in your life that you truly can celebrate, this is who I am now because this is what I once was. Maybe that's a personal vision you have over your life. Maybe some of you have some physical goals. Some of you have heard you know, goals, I want to run a half marathon, a full marathon, a 5K. I, I want to walk around the block. I, I don't know what your goal is. You got to start somewhere, right? Others, their goal is to lower their cholesterol. Um, oftentimes these happen. Why? Because somebody's come to them and said, you will not live to see your blank birthday. And somebody has this vision that says, I want to be able to see grandkids someday. I want to be able to enjoy them someday. I want to get to the place where I can do X, Y, or Z. And so you have this vision of what your health is going to look like, and so you have a personal goal that flows out of that vision. Uh, some of you have moral goals. I remember when I was a teenager, my goal was to, to have it such that, the, the, that I waited until marriage, that my wedding night would be a special night, uh, and I did. 
And, and that wasn't because of a True Love Waits campaign. It wasn't because a youth pastor browbeat me into something, and it wasn't because of a threat from my parent. It, it, was, it was just simply a vision. It was a vision I had of this is what I wanted. And by the way, a vision can fuel what external discipline can't. Like you might have this mindset, you know, how can I get my kids to do what I want them to do? How can I? Paint a vision for them. If they buy into that vision, it will change how they act. Uh, you'll see this with people on like a wrestling team who, who you'll see kids who are, their life is totally undisciplined and all of a sudden they start wrestling and they have this vision uh, of winning something in wrestling. And all of a sudden, I remember talking to kids, I'm like, wait, you don't, this is high school even. I was like, wait, wait, you don't go out and drink? They're like, no, 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 man, I want to make weight. And I, they got so driven because they had a vision and the vision fueled their behavior and their personal choices. Maybe some of you have a vision where you want to be professionally, whether it be going back to school or getting your degree, finishing a degree. Maybe it's making a promotion. I don't, I don't know what your degree, your, your goal is or the vision that you have for where you're going to be professionally. Some of you want to start your own business someday, uh, or maybe you want to go and work for a different company or work for yourself. I don't know what your, your professional vision is, but do you have one, or is it just a vague idea out there, maybe somehow, some, some way? Do you have a vision for your relationship? Uh, one of the things I do when I do pre-marriage counseling is uh, I usually the very last time I meet with a couple, I'll show a, vid- a video, and it comes out of a marriage series we did years ago. Somebody recommended the video I saw, and I showed it that morning, and it was a, it's a song called Dancing in the Minefields, and sometime go look it up on YouTube, Dancing in the Minefield, and I basically sort of caption it as a bunch of old geezers dancing, and what it is, it's these old people just looking in each other's eyes and smiling and dancing. I remember looking at that going, that's, that's what I want to be someday. I want to be in my 70s in love dancing with somebody. It's a vision I have, uh, and it's something I still want. I know you look at me right now and say, well, that, that, how's that working out? It's not working out really well right now. I'm single, but it's a vision I have. It's what I want. I, w- I want a relationship that will last for all eternity. You know, not eternity, well. <laughs> <laughs> I can have that with God. There is a really funny clip from... Curb your enthusiasm where they redo their wedding vows and she wants him to say, you know, I, I, I commit to you for all eternity. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I committed this life in eternity. I want to have the freedom to maybe go a different direction. <laughs> it's just, it's, and they get into this whole argument about it. It's just, it was kind of a funny thing. Sorry. Uh, I, I chase tangents sometimes. But back on focus. Uh, as a parent, would you, what, what vision do you have as a parent? Uh, I've shared before one of the visions I have is I, I want my kids to love coming home. Uh, when they're old, I want them to come home. I have a friend of mine whose son had the opportunity to move anywhere in the country. There, there are jobs that you, know, you can move wherever you want. And they moved back to their hometown and bought a house four doors down from his dad. Wow. I mean, amazing. Like, I, I want that. That's, what I, that's my vision. I hope you guys know I'm working on that. And they're like, buy me a house down the street from you, Dad, and we'll come back, right? Uh, no, no, they, they, they bought the house down the street. It was their, they did. That was the vision there. Um, you know, I, I have a vision that I want them to be able to make it on their own someday. I even have that vision for Jewel, too. You know, I'd love for her to be a self-sustaining adult, that she could take care of herself. It's one of my visions I have for her, and it, it's, it's going to take a long time. We're, we're working towards that goal. Um, it's, it's a vision. Uh, maybe some of you have financial visions of maybe one day being debt-free. I've had several people from the church who said, you know, one day I want to go on the Dave Ramsey show and I want to scream from the top of my lungs, we're debt-free! You ever seen people do that? That's, that was their dream, and that was their vision, and it takes a lot of hard work to get there. 
Uh, maybe some of you, your vision financially is to, to have the money to just save up for retirement, to put that money away in your Roth IRA. Like, where are you going to find extra $5,000 a year from? I don't know, but if it's a vision, you'll work towards that. Or maybe to save up to, to have the down payment for a house. Whatever your financial vision is, it's got to be a vision. Now, the reason why I keep saying vision is there's a difference between a vision and a vague idea. And so oftentimes we confuse the two. We, we think we have a vision because like you, maybe some of you listen is like, yeah, yeah, I want, that sounds good to me. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I like that too. That, you know, I don't know if I'm actually want to run the 5K. I just want to be physically able to, you know, I just want to be able to, you know, want to feel like I can. I don't actually want to have to do something like that. I just want to feel like I can. The difference between a vague idea and a vision, if you go back to that passage, where there is no vision, where there is no revelation from God, the people will cast off restraint. That's sort of one of the tests of whether or not it's a vision or a vague idea. What is the discipline and the ter- determination you have to pursue that? See, a true vision is where you will forgo what you want to do in the, op- in the moment, uh, where you can truly can have the restraint to not chase other opportunities, and you have the restraint uh, to not stop when your body wants to stop when every obstacle comes against you. So, so it says where there is no vision, people will cast off restraint. Where you have a vague idea, that's pretty much your life. Another opportunity comes up. You say, maybe you got this financial goal. I want to be debt-free. But then something new and shiny comes along. Like, oh, you know, it really would be cool to have a nice new bass boat. I thought you want to be debt-free. Yeah, yeah, but I really want the boat too. That's a vague idea of being debt-free. That's not a vision. A vision does not get to that moment and just cast off all restraint and go spend something on the credit card. When you have a vision, you have the determination and the discipline to stay the course. When you have a vision that says, I want to be one of those old geezers, when there's another opportunity out there to go and chase after something else, you, you have the restraint. And maybe some of you have gone down that path, but you come back and say, no, no, I made a mistake. I, I realize this is the vision that I want for my life. And so you come back. What, is it a vision or is it a vague idea? And that's something you sort of have to, to work through on your own. The ones who end up at their intended destination... So we mentioned before, everybody ends up somewhere, but a few people end up at a place intentionally. The ones who end up somewhere intentionally had a vision that got them there. It's what fueled them to have the determination and the discipline. Those who don't, at some point, they cast off all restraint. Like a budget is, is a restraining device, right? It's really hard to stay on a budget if you don't have a vision for why you're on that budget. See, what happens with vision Vision gives a sense of purpose. It gives a sense of reason why I'm doing this. When things get difficult, it comes back and says, remember, this is why we're doing it. It's why I struggled with math. Now, the honest truth is, I'm actually very good at math. I have a brain that loves math. I love problem solving. And when I would sit in math class, when I would actually decide I cared, I would literally fly through math. My my math teacher could not figure me out. There were some units in math where I would literally turn in a D, and then I would realize, oh, stink, I need to pass this thing to be able to stay eligible. And literally, I remember there was like three tests in a row. I did the test, each one of them in less than 10 minutes, was the first one to hand in my paper and walk out. And the teacher looked at me like, what? How did you do this? And she's like, you know, thought I was cheating, calculating or something. I was like, oh, this stuff's easy. Here was my problem with math. And I still to this day have a rebellious problem with math. Long division, what's the purpose And I want to know what teachers say today. Back in the day, they used to say, well, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. How'd that, how'd that one age? Didn't. Trigonometry, algebra, calculus. Hey, I'm sure if you want to be a rocket scientist or if you want to be a computer engineer 
or I've heard even if you're shooting mortars in the military, those things are important. None of those were part of my life goals. None of those were part of my, my dreams. I knew from an early age I wasn't going to be a rocket scientist. And so I would be forced to sit in these math classes, being learning math, that I looked at and said, I have no vision to ever use this. I don't ever want to use this. I don't ever want to see trigonometry ever again. When my kids have gone to do it, I've looked at it, and they'd say, Dad, do you know how to do this? And I'd look at it and go, yes. Well, can you help me with it? No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going back there. And I'd ask the question, do you want to be a rocket scientist? No? Then I'm not really going to support this. I'm sorry, I just... (laughs) Listen to my biblical advice, not my parenting advice, okay? (laughs) However, I got to college and I took a class called cost accounting. Don't let the word accounting fool you. It's really business math is what it was. When you think of the word accounting, you're thinking of ledger book accounting. Once again, another useless class, computer program does it all for you. Uh, However, when you got to cost accounting, it was like math that was useful. What it was was all about trying to figure out your production cost, where you put together you know, what it costs to produce the item, to market the item, your labor cost, your material cost. Uh, you fit all that together uh, to figure out what your profit margin is going to be, find your break-even points so you can determine your, your pricing. Like, how do you decide how much you're going to sell something for? All of this, and it, it, like, it boiled all of this down. All of this was amazing and wonderful. I'm like, oh, wow, I loved that class. Why? Because I instantly realized whether I paint houses for the rest of my life, because that's what I was doing when I was in college, whether I paint houses for the rest of my life or become a, the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, all of this stuff is useful. I can see a vision for how I would use this math somewhere in life, and I loved it, right? But it was fueled by a vision. When you lack the vision, you'll cast off restraint. Like when it came to doing long division or going outside and playing games, it was really hard to, to, to have the discipline and determination to finish it out because I didn't have any vision for it. Uh, another author put it this way, trying to describe this, is says, imagine, if you will, you were told to fill dirt, or sorry, fill bags with dirt. They said, all right, your job today is to be a uh, dirt bag filler. And you're like, what? So you, you go out there, how, how many bags of dirt do you fill before you, you give up? Before your phone rings, you cast off restraint, you go do something else, right? The person comes back, now picture they come back and they go, hey, how are you coming on, the, on, on, on filling the bags? I'm like, well, you've only got like a half of one done. Come on, man. Come on. This has to get done. And you're like, oh, I don't want to fill dirt bags. <laughs> and you say, no, those aren't dirt bags. Those are sandbags. There's a flood coming. We need to save the house. You know, we're, we're trying to put up a dike so we can save our, our, our city. How does that vision change your work ethic in that moment? You see, now it's not dirt bag, now it's a sandbag. And sandbags are a lot different than dirt bags, in more ways than one. (laughs) And you realize there's value here. There's a reason here. And when somebody paints out the picture of having the opportunity to save the things you love or the people that you love because of what you're doing right now, it'll give you the determination and the discipline to go through the hard times, to, to ignore the distractions that come in, ignore the other opportunities there. But where there is no vision... People cast off restraint. So, what is the vision that then God has for each and every one of us? What is the vision that God has laid out there? Because in here, this passage says, where there is no vision, where there is no revelation from God, people will cast off restraint, which leads to the perishing or the death of their relationships in their uh, soul, whether it be both here physically or for all eternity. But then the second part of the verse, he says, but the one who follows God's instructions for life is happy and blessed. The one who follows God's instructions for life is happy and blessed. In other words, Where you have the vision that God is leading you, 
and the instruction that he's given you for life, when you get a vision for where God's instructions for you are for life, it will lead to a place of blessing. Well, the Bible's a pretty big, big book, Steve. Could you kind of boil it down? Could you summarize it down? Because after all, the best visions are ones that are very simple. Could you just boil this down to one, one sort of simple summarizing statement? Glad you asked. Somebody actually asked Jesus that very same question, fortunately, and he gave the answer for us over in Matthew chapter 22. He says, can you boil it all down? Can you summarize up what the meaning of life is, the purpose of life, all of the instructions that God's given us that will make us uh, this place of, of blessing if we follow after them? What, what are they? Could you just boil it all down? I mean, if you all know the answer. He said, love you, Lord your God, with all your heart soul, and mind. And I'll give you a bonus and a derivative of that, the outflowing of that, the, the, the sort of the second piece of this or the, the connecting piece of this is, and also love others as, as you love yourself. And then what's he say? He says, all of the law and the commandments, all of God's instructions hang on this. All of them. If you, you want to know what it all flows out of, it all flows on this one thing, which is why I summarize this every single week for you by saying simply what? This life is about nothing more than a loving relationship with Jesus Christ that you'll enjoy for all eternity. That's where it came from. It just comes out of what Jesus says. Can you just boil everything down? And if you follow after that, see, this is the way it changes your life. When you begin to say, this is what life is all about. Remember I said it gives you the discipline and the determination to push through difficult times. Now, now think about this in terms of some of the other stuff that you read in Scripture. Like, for instance, James chapter 1 says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith will produce Perseverance. And let perseverance finish its good work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he finishes, he summarizes up this, this whole section here in verse 12. He says, for blessed is the one, there's that word blessed again. Remember he says, if you follow God's instructions, you'll be blessed. And you might say, but Steve, it's really hard sometimes to follow God's instructions. Anybody finding it hard to follow God's instructions? It's hard. It is. But you won't have the determination or the discipline to do it if you don't have a vision from God that this is what leads to the blessing in your life. One of my sort of like, the way I summarize that statement for my life is live for the blessing. Live for the blessing. Live for the place where you can be blessed because, you, because blessing follows obedience. He says, when you are obedient to God, you're going to go through difficult times. Consider it joy when you face that obstacle, when you have to go through a very difficult time, whatever that may be. So when you're not, you're, you're asking God, why, 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 why? Because you think life's about something else. When you begin to realize that life is all about this loving relationship with him, you go through a difficult time. Instead of asking why, you say, okay, God, you're refining me and, and, and making me more into the person like you because what this does is it, it produces perseverance in my life, the ability to, to work through an obstacle without getting to the point where I cast off restraint. And so he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life from the Lord. In other words, they don't perish. They receive the crown of life from the Lord. He says that God has promised to all those who love him. See, it all comes back together. It all all of God's scripture all kind of inner works together. And you see how this is all playing out once you sort of see it through the vision of what God has, has for your life. His vision is we would have a loving relationship. And yeah, difficult times are going to come in your life. But if you're living your life for some other vision. Now, all those other visions I mentioned earlier, they're great visions. A lot of those are godly visions. They, they flow out of different parts of scripture. However, if you ever detach them from the overarching big vision, you may get derailed at some point. In other words, you may have a vision to be debt-free. Why? Because you see that as a scriptural principle. However, if your vision to be debt-free pushes you away from becoming more like Jesus Christ or your love for God, then the vision has gotten sidetracked somewhere. You know, if, 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 if I make my kids the center of my life because one day I want to have a, you know, the great relationship with them and they become more important to me than anything else, you'll begin to make destructive, horrible decisions along the way. You can't ever lose sight of what the I mentioned before, I have this vision of being one of those old geezers dancing in the minefields. 
That's my vision. You might say, well, how's that working out for you? I'll tell you this, if that was the only vision I had, my overarching vision, where would my life be at this point? Uh, I would have nothing but despair because that vision has gone up in smoke more than once. However, if my ultimate goal is to have a loving relationship with God, regardless of the circumstance or the trial I go through, I realize this is the opportunity to make me more like Jesus Christ and grow and deepen my love with him. And I can tell you this for certain, I love God far more now than I ever did 10, 20 years ago. Just because of the roads I've walked with him along the way. And he says, this is, this is what waits for you. It, or Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 9 says the same thing. Do not be deceived. God can't be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. He says, whoever sows to please their flesh, i.e. casts off restraint, in the moment do whatever you feel like, whoever sows to please their flesh will from the flesh reap destruction. Same idea. Perish. Leads to death. When you cast off restraint, it leads to death, leads to destruction. He says, however, who sows to please, whoever sows to please the Spirit, i.e. lives for their loving relationship with God, follows after his instruction to please God, from the Spirit will, re- will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Is, part of your, is your primary vision focused on that loving relationship for all eternity, or is it something more temporal? If it's something more temporal, at some point you will cast off restraint. Guaranteed. Because you will not have the, the determination or the discipline to go the distance in your loving relationship with God. Unless you have this vision out there that says, I want to get to this place where I look back over my life and say, God, it was a crazy ride, a lot of difficulty, but it's you and me. And I'm glad we went through it all. My desire to have that with, with a woman someday is just nothing more than a reflection of that kind of relationship I want to have with God. It's it. It's just, it's just supposed to be a mirror image, that kind of picture of that. Now, along this way of this loving relationship, what God's doing in you is he's making you more like his son, Jesus Christ, along the way. What these trials do, it makes you more like Jesus Christ. And you'll see this come up again and again, that God wants to make you more and more and more like Jesus because the only way you can have a loving relationship with somebody for all eternity, the more you are like Christ, the easier it is to have a long-lasting relationship, right? I would say you're never more like Jesus when you're forgiving, there are no enduring relationships without forgiveness. You need to become more and more like Christ. That's why you'll see things like in Romans 8, 29. For the people God knew in advance would have a loving relationship with him, his desire for them was that they would become like his son so that Jesus would be like a firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, Jesus would sort of like be the forerunner that everybody else would kind of follow after him and become more and more and more like him. So the people who have a loving relationship to him, his goal, his desire is you become more like Jesus Christ. And then in 1 John 3, it kind of summarizes in that day when God comes back, he'll complete the task where you truly will be like Jesus for all eternity. What was Jesus like? He was patient and he was kind. He was never rude. He wasn't seeking out his own desires, his own stuff. He always put others before himself, even to the, to, to the point of death in the end. He was even-tempered even and he wasn't easily angered. And don't even go off on the, oh, what about the time in the temple? Do you know what he was doing there? He was frustrated because the people were shoving out, people saying, you can't have a relationship with God, only we can. So this area in the temple that's designated for you, that doesn't serve any purpose. We'll, we'll, we'll do something for our own ends. And so he was pushing them out. And by the way, it was planned. If you look, that's all the terms from the time. Um, he never hoped something bad would happen to the people who were coming against him. What's he say on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, that's him there on the cross, you know, with that kind of attitude. He didn't rejoice in evil, but always delighted in that which was good. Um, he protected those who were vulnerable. I always spoke the truth. He trusted God with his life and his mission and even trusted the disciples. Why sometimes, right? 
He always saw the best in me. He always hoped the best in them. You might look at your life and say, how could God ever still want to use me? He sees the best in you and he believes the best about you. And and his, his love for you would always persevere. He would never give up on you. He would never give up on the idea and the, and, the, and the belief that your life could be better. He never gets to the point with anybody who says, you're beyond hope. He always has that hope in people. I don't know if you realize it, but I was just sort of going through and quoting and summarizing 1 Corinthians 13. Jesus was the embodiment and the epitome of love. Love is all those things. That's who Jesus is. And God's hope and desire for you is you have a loving relationship with him that you become a spitting image in the epitome of love, which was Jesus Christ. So why is it that God wants you to become like Jesus? Because Jesus was the spitting image and the, the love personified. And as you become love personified, it allows you to have a loving relationship with him that lasts for all eternity. So putting it all together, God's vision for you is that you and he would have a loving relationship. And that you would use every, that everything that comes in your life would be going through the filter and the lens of God, how can I have a deeper and more growing loving relationship with you? such that I can enjoy it for all eternity. And all these other things that I want to see happen, the degree to which they are a vision versus just a vague idea is the degree to which I have the determination and the discipline to see them through, or do I get to the point where I just cast off all restraint and do whatever I want? You know, what is true about your relationship with God and what is true about all these other, you know, under visions that you have before God? Would you join with me as we close out in prayer? Father, if we truly are going to have a life well-led, it begins with capturing your vision over our life. Because if this life is about anything other than a loving relationship with you, at some point, we'll be disappointed. Death, or lawsuits, or evil decisions, or betrayals, can take away everything in this life other than our loving relationship with you. Father, every other worthwhile vision that we can have, as godly as they may be, as good as they may be, are all subject to failure this side of eternity other than our loving relationship with you. So, Father, may that be a deep desire with each each and every one of us that we truly have that kind of loving relationship. That we'll have the discipline and the determination to persevere through the end, regardless of what this life brings into our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.